Um, why don't we start by praying, and then we'll get into the talk. Father, do help us to listen carefully today. We pray that we'd be as excited as Luke is about your work of making people know the gospel, bringing it to all over the world. We pray we would rejoice with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I'd like to own a dog, but the sad reality is that I'm actually allergic to dogs. Um, so I just keep reminding myself that dogs can be a problem. Dogs can be downright embarrassing. Uh, for instance, my mum was out shopping one day with our dog, uh, ran into an old friend, got talking, as you do. Mum's very good at that, she's a conversationalist. And um, it was all going really well, the conversation was rolling on really well. And then suddenly this lady just gave a start and turns out that our dog had thought it was a really good chance to start marking the territory and had happened to think that her legs were a really good place to start. <laughs> so um, yeah, dogs can definitely be a problem. And to many people, Paul can be a problem. Paul can be downright embarrassing. The biggest problem most people have with Paul is that Paul never knew Jesus during his earthly life. Uh, Paul didn't really know Jesus. In fact, non-Christians complain that Paul used Jesus to push his own agenda. Here's an example. Uh, this is from the site atheistforjesus.com. Uh, and it accuses Paul of hiding the real Jesus from us. Have a read. President evidence shows that, the sorry, shows that the view of Jesus and his teachings that was held by those who knew him personally, the original apostles, has been corrupted by people who never met or understood the historical Jesus and his teachings. And he lists from Paul to Constantine to today's religious right. And so these people claim that Paul added to what Jesus and the apostles taught. He added the idea of hell. He added the claim that Jesus was God's son, or the claim that you're saved by Jesus alone, or that we're saved by Jesus' death and not by our works. These aren't what Jesus taught, these people will say. And in fact, even people who claim to be Christian are trying to move beyond Paul to the, the real Jesus. Uh, Joss will just move on the page for us and we'll look at what one guy says on questioningchristian.com. I'm sceptical of Christ, Paul's Christological speculations, that is, his thinking about who Jesus is. Not least because he never knew Jesus during his lifetime. I also think we're not required to uncritically accept Paul's reports that he encountered the risen Jesus. And when you think about it, some things Paul said can be embarrassing. Some things he said we'd rather live without. For instance, Paul gives the clearest New Testament teaching on homosexuality. Or there's Paul's teaching on the way women should serve in the church. In today's society, the things he said aren't popular. Teaching like these are embarrassing. And so some people, even ministers, will pick and choose what parts of Paul they agree with and what parts they don't. The next slide has something like this. This is a minister from Fort Leroy, and this is how she starts her sermon. She reads a section of Philippians that says, God sends suffering, and then she directly denies it. Have a listen. I've been known to disagree with Paul, often, actually. 
And I've also been known to find my deepest inspiration in his words. Let me start with where Brother Paul and I part company. It's with these words. This is God's doing. For you have been graciously granted the privilege not only of believing in Christ, but of suffering for Christ as well. And she goes on to say, I just don't buy, however, that suffering, even to show forth God's saving grace, is God's doing, caused by God. When this minister disagrees with Paul, then it's Paul that's got to go. Paul is a problem. And for some people, the solution is to just get rid of Paul. However, this isn't a new problem. The authority of Paul has always been in question, even in the early church. And Acts is evidence of this. All through Acts, Luke provides evidence that Paul really was an apostle. Paul really had authority in the early church. God was really at work through Paul. So today we're going to do two things. We'll go through the passage and see its main point. Paul took the gospel to Asia. But then we're going to go back and look at Luke's evidence that Paul really was an apostle. And we're going to see that even Acts teaches we must listen to Paul. So, let's start our task. This passage is about how the gospel reached Asia. Paul takes the gospel to everyone, Jew and Greek, even in Asia. Now, I've got a map here um, that shows that region, and you'll notice that Asia isn't um, what we would now call Asia, not China. Um, it's actually this region over to the left, the yellow patch. So, when he's talking about Asia, he's talking about the area what we call now Turkey. Last week, Paul started his missionary journey in Antioch. You'll see that down the bottom there. And he headed north, and he's heading towards Ephesus. Now, if Josh just presses the next button, you'll, it'll highlight Ephesus for us. Ooh, no, it won't. Don't you feel cheated when that happens? Um, so Ephesus was in the middle of Asia there, on the far um, left. Um, so Paul had promised the folk in Ephesus that he was going to go and visit them. We read that last week. He's headed from Antioch. He's heading to Ephesus to keep his promise. And in verse 1, Paul arrives in Ephesus. And now, Paul spends over two years in Ephesus. Now, it's a very short passage for two years. So what we're getting is, is a summary. This summary is, is that everyone, both Jew and Greek, heard the gospel. Both Jews and Greeks believed in Jesus. And we, verse 8 is where we find Luke's summary. So, and as usual, Paul went to the synagogue and taught about Jesus. Eventually the Jews reject the message, so Paul leaves, finds somewhere else and keeps teaching. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? But some things are different this time. As in Corinth, he stays a while. Two years, in fact. And not only Ephesus, but all of Asia hear the news. Still, the most important thing hasn't changed. Both Jews and Greeks are hearing about Jesus. Let's have a read from verse 8. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way, so Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. 
So that's Luke's summary. And you can think of the rest of the passage as simply illustrating that summary. Luke picks two events during Paul's work. One involves Jews, the other involves both Jews and Greeks, as examples. They show how the gospel affects Jews and Gentiles in Ephesus. So going back to the start of the passage, we have our first event. And this shows that Judaism is incomplete. Even the disciples of John need to hear about Jesus. Luke starts off by telling us about some disciples Paul met. And when Luke says disciples, we usually assume they're Christians. They must have looked Christian because that's where Paul seems to start. But soon we're all left wondering. You see, Paul asks if they've received the Holy Spirit. And he asks whether they received it when they believed. So you'll note that normally Paul expects those two things to go together. You believe, you receive the Holy Spirit. That, that seems to be one event as far as Paul's concerned. So when the disciples say no, Paul asks what baptism did they receive? And it turns out they're not Christians. They're actually following the teaching of John the Baptist. Have a look from the end of verse 1. In Ephesus, he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asks, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they say. Now, John's disciples are pretty close to Christian. I mean, even Paul didn't spot the difference initially. They believe that you need to repent and be sorry for your sins. They believe that God will save his people through his promised Messiah. They believe a whole lot of stuff that Christians believe. But they don't know Jesus. Judaism is incomplete. Jews need to know about Jesus. And when the disciples believe in Jesus, they receive the Holy Spirit. Have a read what happened. From verse 4, Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptised into the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There are about 12 men in all. So that's Luke's first example. Jews needed to hear the gospel because Judaism was incomplete. And what about our second event? Well, it shows that magic is incompatible. You can't be Christian and practice magic. You see, Ephesus was a place known for magic. We know that not just from this passage. We actually have other historical evidence that shows that Ephesus was known for its magical records. You could drop by, pick up a spell, fix a few problems. And so in Ephesus, God makes mega miracles happen. Luke calls them extraordinary. Even the clothes and rags Paul wore tent-making can heal people. Start at verse 11. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and the illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Now, the local miracle workers see Paul as competition. And what do you do when uh, you're in business and your competitor is winning? Well, you find out your competitor's secret and you copy it. And that's exactly what the local exorcists do. They try to use Jesus' power like Paul seems to. They start calling on the Jesus that Paul preached. Read verse 13. 
Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. But it turns out it didn't work. Seven blokes, the seven sons of Sceva, give it a try. And yet when they command a spirit, the spirit complains it hasn't heard of them. Jesus isn't a magical power. Paul isn't just another miracle worker. Christianity isn't just a form of magic. And to show that's the case, one demon-possessed man beats up seven brothers. You've got to wonder which was more embarrassing, doing the nutty run home or having to explain to everyone afterwards how your seven brothers, you and your six brothers got beat up by this one man. Have a look at verse 14. Seven sons of Sceva a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. What do these events mean? Well, Luke shows us. He tells us how people reacted. and Two things happened when people heard. For the non-Christians who heard, Jews and Greeks, it showed that Jesus was powerful. Jesus didn't act at people's beck and call. Jesus was someone to be feared. Read verse 17. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honour. But also, it was a wake-up call for a bunch of Christians What happened to the seven sons of Sceva was significant. It showed you couldn't treat Jesus like a magic power. Being a Christian wasn't a form of magic. And what's more, Christianity and magic don't go together. You can't follow Jesus and trust in magic on the side. The Christians who heard about the sons of Sceva repented. They admitted they'd practiced sorcery and then they acted. They took serious action. The scrolls they burnt were worth 50,000 drachmas, right? Now, a drachma is a day's pay. So let's say our average salary is $50,000 here. Then we would be burning almost $7 million worth of books. That's a lot of books and a lot of people. Let's start at verse 18. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burnt them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So when the Christians heard about the sons of Sceva, they acted. They admitted that magic was evil and they put their money where their mouth was. They realised magic was incompatible with Jesus. So... There's Luke's two examples. The final thing to note is that Paul's work has been very successful. Asia was the last area that Paul needed to reach with the gospel. He's finished in Turkey. He plans to drop into the churches in Greece for a quick farewell. And then where's his next stop? Italy. Carmelina will be pleased. So have a read from verse 21. After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I'd been there, he said, 
I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. Paul has finished his work in Greece. The gospel has successfully gone to Asia. There's nowhere else to be reached. Paul can now start planning his fourth missionary journey. Okay. That's the main point of this passage. Luke is also, however, showing us one of the reasons he has written Acts. See, ever since Paul became a Christian, Luke has been showing us that Paul isn't just an average Christian. In fact, he's not even just an extraordinary Christian, you know, impressive Christian, you know, like you know, Warren or Jeff or someone like that. No, the things Paul does are special. In fact, the things Paul does show that he is an apostle. All through Acts, Luke gives us evidence that Paul is one of the apostles. Paul has a special place of authority in the church. Luke uses Peter for comparison. Peter was able to do things because he was an apostle. And now Paul does those same sort of things. Now Paul can only do this if he is too an apostle. And both of the events today provide that sort of evidence. So let's go back and think about the disciples of John and how they received the Holy Spirit. The way that happens, it's quite unusual. It's not just unusual for us. It's actually unusual in Acts. You see, first, there's what happened when they received this Holy Spirit. The disciples speak in tongues. There are only four times in Acts when the Spirit is given to people in this special, obvious way. Every other time, there's, sorry, and every other time that this happens, there's a special and significant reason for it. So let's think back. The first time was at Pentecost. There, the Holy Spirit showed that the new covenant had started. God was accepting Jews back into his kingdom. The second time, there was Samaritans became Christians. And God showed that not only Judeans, but also Samaritans, the northern kingdom, was accepted by God. Third time, Peter tells Cornelius' house about Jesus. And God showed that not only Jews, but also Gentiles are accepted in God's kingdom. So, it's quite possible that here God was giving a clear, visible sign that he had accepted John's disciples as part of his people. I don't really understand why we need a particularly clear sign that John's disciples are part of God's people. But going on the pattern in Acts, that that could be a fair conclusion. However, there's something else unusual here. This obvious sign comes after Paul has laid his hands on the disciples. Now, uh, think back. Can, can just anyone have this gift of, of laying their hands on people and giving the Spirit? No. Remember Simon? Do you remember Simon the magician? He thought that he could buy the ability to give the Spirit. And he was told that this was a special gift. And who are the people who are given this gift in Acts? Well, the only people we see with this gift in Acts are apostles. People who have known Jesus and are sent by him. Even Ananias, the guy who gives the spirit to Paul, well, he meets Jesus, Jesus appears to him and sends him to do that task. 
So it may be more likely that when the disciples of John speak in tongues, it's a sign for us. It shows us they have really received the Spirit. And that would show that Paul was also an apostle. Paul can give the Holy Spirit just like Peter and the other apostles can. So that's our first indicator, that Paul is an apostle. John's disciples receive the Spirit when Paul lays his hands on them. Let's go to our second event. Luke's second indicator are these mega miracles. You see, the New Testament records many miracles. You know, there's all that stuff in the Gospels and everything like that. But there's rare that power just sort of oozes out of somebody. It's not a normal thing in the Gospels or in the New Testament. In fact, in the Gospels, in the New Testament, there's only three times. In the Gospels, we see Jesus. You know, remember the lady with the bleeding? She reached out, touched the cloak of Jesus, and she was healed. The only other time is in Acts. You see, in chapter 5, the sick were gathering in the street, hoping that Peter's shadow would pass over them and they'd be healed. So, today's passage seems to compare Paul with Peter. God's power is at work through Paul in the same way that it was at work through Peter. Paul's mega miracles show he is an apostle. Add these together and you start to see strong similarities between Paul and Peter. Luke describes them very similarly. And like this is just the tip of the iceberg. If you think back, at the council in Jerusalem, both Peter and Paul testify that God accepts Gentiles in God's kingdom. And at different times, both Peter and Paul have raised someone from the dead. And then there's the account of Paul's conversion. Remember, Paul met Jesus on the road and was told that he would tell others about Jesus. Jesus sent him. Right from his unique conversion, Paul has all the makings of an apostle. And what's more, Acts tells us about Paul's conversion three times. We hear it three times. Luke wants us to get this straight. Paul really was an apostle. Put it all together and what does it mean? It means that Paul was an apostle, just like Peter was. And why is this is Paul's apostleship important? Because people back then were questioning whether Paul was an apostle. There were people suggesting that Paul taught something different to what Peter did. And that's why in Acts you find Luke deliberately pointing out how Paul and Peter are on the same team. They're both sent by Jesus. They're both apostles. And they both build God's church. Sure, they're sent to different people groups. Uh, you know, Paul is sent to the Gentiles. Peter is sent to the Jews. But who converts the first Gentile? Actually, it's Peter. And every time that Paul arrives in a new city, well, he goes to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. You can't separate Peter and Paul. You can't remove Paul's authority from the early church. And that means we can't remove Paul's authority either. Jesus sent Paul. He had Jesus' authority behind him. When Paul writes on how we should live, we have to listen to him. He speaks on Jesus' behalf. Okay. So I have to ask you, what's your attitude to Paul? How do you feel about Paul? 
do you see how we should feel? We shouldn't feel embarrassed. Acts shows us that Paul really knew Jesus. And we should defend Paul against our friend from Atheist for Jesus. This guy is simply ignoring what Acts says, isn't he? Acts says Paul did meet Jesus. He didn't twist it to his own agenda. Paul doesn't belong with the religious right. Paul belongs right next to Peter and James and John and the other disciples. We can trust what Paul teaches us about Jesus. So Jesus did teach about hell. He did claim to be God's son. He claimed that he was the only way that we could know God. And he claimed that his death and not our works was going to make us right with God. And we know Jesus taught these things because of Paul. Think about it. If you're going to chuck out Paul... You need to chuck out Luke as well. So there goes Luke and Acts. And because, I mean, they defend Paul. And then in our reading earlier, we heard Peter saying that you could trust Paul's writing. So we're going to have to get rid of Peter. So that means another couple of letters gone. Um, You're you're really starting to run out of New Testament there. You know, you're down to maybe, what, Matthew, Mark, maybe John and his letters? Hebrews, maybe... Maybe not. James, Jude. You can do that if you want. But don't call it Christianity. I mean, if you're going to make up your own religion, you may as well have the enough integrity to give it your own name. No. Paul is as much our link to Jesus as Peter was. Now, that's not good news for our minister from Fort Leroy, is it? It means she can't pick and choose what Paul taught. She can't be inspired one moment and and then violently disagree the next. And nor can we. Paul knew what Jesus wanted. Paul taught what Jesus wanted. And that means Paul taught what we need to hear. It's one of the misleading things about red-letter Bibles, isn't it? Um, They suggest that we should listen to the words of Jesus more than other parts of the Bible. You know, ironically... Studies have shown that when things are printed in red, that you actually remember them less, so it sort of defeats its own purpose. But still, all of the Bible is given us by God. That means we need to wrestle with all of what the Bible says. So when Paul says, neither the sexually immoral, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God, then that's what Jesus says. And if we disagree, then we are the ones that have to change. And when Paul says there are certain ways of relating within the church that are inappropriate, then that's what Jesus says too. He wants it for our good. Paul wants it for our good. We need to listen to it. We can think hard about how we put these things into practice and what they look like, but what we can't do is simply ignore them because we receive them from Paul one of Jesus' apostles, one of the messengers he sent to tell us the gospel. And that's the good news, isn't it? How did most of us, we Gentiles here, how did we hear about Jesus? Well, we heard it through Paul, didn't we? Through the apostle Jesus sent us. Paul's apostleship is good news for us because it's how we came to know about Jesus.
So why don't we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending us apostles. Thank you for Paul and Peter and how you sent them to us to tell us what Jesus is like. Please, help us to work hard at accepting Paul's authority. Help us to listen to him and it should change our thinking when we disagree. Please help us to obey your message when we do disagree. And please help us to be less embarrassed of Paul. Instead, Father, we ask that we'd actually defend Paul and his authority. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.